today on Commitment to Truth. We've got a mighty God on our side. We don't need to be afraid in our country and in the world today. Any of it. Don't be afraid of any of it. we got a mighty God who fights for you on your behalf. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Mike Jones, teaching pastor at Commitment Church with today's message. So we've been going through a sermon series entitled The Prince of Peace, and it's been out of Isaiah uh, chapter 9. And just a review, um, so we're all on the same page and we have the context of the scriptures. Uh, what's going on here in Isaiah is there's a king named Ahaz, who is the leader, the king of the Israelites at the time. And there's another kingdom coming in to take him over, and he's scared. Um, he doesn't know what to do. He feels outnumbered. Uh, so Isaiah comes to him and says, all right, if you want the Lord to be on your side, you want him to fight for you, just ask him for a sign. Ask him for any sign, and he will give you that sign that you seek. But Ahaz was wicked. Ahaz was rebellious. And so he chose to ignore Isaiah, to essentially reject the Lord, and instead grab the gold and silver from the temple, pay tribute to a neighboring king, another wicked king, to defend him instead. That king came and defended him, and he had temporary victory. But that king of Assyria also, through this, realized that he was pretty weak, and he sent in, and later on came in and took over Ahaz's kingdom, okay? Betrayed him. And so chapter 8, Isaiah is outlining the judgment that has now come upon Ahaz and the Israelites and their kingdom as a result of them rejecting God. And um, if we look in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21 and 22, it says, they will, this is their judgment that's been passed on to them. They will pass through the land, hard-pressed and famished, uh, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Boy, that sounds pretty gloomy. Doesn't sound very Christmassy. Sorry to dampen the spirits. But in chapter 9, there's hope that Isaiah then talks about. And let's start there uh, for, and go through verses 1 through 5. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In anguish, in earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. So he's saying what 
the joy is going to be like, what it's going to be like when, verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. We have the benefit of hindsight of knowing exactly who that is. That's Jesus Christ, prophesied here 700 years before he came. And this prophecy here in chapter 9, um, it's called a messianic prophecy. It's um, a prophecy that just is the foretelling of the coming Messiah of, of Jesus. And there's over 300 of these prophecies in the Old Testament. Yet, when Jesus came to his people who knew his word, who knew the Old Testament, they rejected him. Why? They had all the information right here, very specific information, some of it. And he was right in front of them saying, hey, that guy you've been reading about, that Messiah, that Savior, that's me. And I'm proving it right here in front of you. Nah, we don't, we don't want that Messiah. We don't want that Savior. How could they have gotten it wrong? And so you see, when Israel was in Isaiah's time, they were captives of um, a foreign land, right? They weren't in, they didn't have their kingdom anymore. It was broken up. And when Jesus came, it was the same way. The Romans were then in charge. It was just a different ruler over them. And so when the Israelites were reading the scriptures and they were reading about someone coming, a Messiah, a savior, a rescuer, they already had a preconceived notion of what exactly that meant. And so in verse 6, it says the government will rest on his shoulders. And government here means rule or dominion. And so they're like, all right, this guy's going to come in. He's going to reestablish us as a great nation, just like when David was here. And everything's going to be great. We're going to just go back to the way things were. But what did Jesus say that he came for? Where did he say his rule and dominion was? Where did he say his kingdom was supposed to be? In John 18, 36, when Pilate's interviewing him before he's crucified, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then again at the end of the verse, he says, my kingdom is not of this realm. Well, if his kingdom's not here, then where is it? Where did Christ come to rule? Your life. That's why he came. He wants your life. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And when he came in his time, that was a radical idea. The people who he came, the people who were expecting a Savior and Messiah, they wanted everything around them fixed. They wanted to get back to their religion and their traditions and they had these thoughts that were, were when Jesus would challenge them, right? Their religion was if you sleep with another man's wife, that's adultery. But what did Jesus say? If you even think it, you're guilty of the same. If you kill someone, you're guilty of murder. If you even think ill will towards your brother or sister you're still guilty of murder. 
Well, I don't like that. I don't want, well, you're, Jesus, you're pointing the direction back at me. It's not me. It's my boss. It's my wife. It's my husband. It's my kids. It's my struggle. I need all this taken care of. But that's not what he came for. He came for your life. He turns the direction back towards us. And when we talk about Christ ruling, having dominion over our lives, that is your immediate reaction being, I'm in control of my own destiny. I, I take care of it. Cool. God gives you a free will. And you can choose whether you accept him or not. That's the great part about it. It doesn't say that a child would be born to us, that someone would be given to us, and you, you have to follow him. You have to do what he says. You have no say in the matter. No. It says that he will be given to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave us his son. It's a gift that we didn't do anything to deserve. And I like to tell our youth that God's a gentleman, right? Revelation 3.20. I'm going to turn there so I get it right and don't paraphrase. Um, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He's just standing there. Waiting. Waiting for you to answer the door. He's not going to kick it down. If you do, open a little bit to peek out there. All right, God, what do you want? He's not going to kick it in. Come take over everything. What's it say? I will come in and dine with you. I'll get to know you. You'll get to know me. You'll get to know who I am. You'll get to know what I'm really like. I will shatter Every expectation you've had of what it means to give your life to me and show you what true love, true sacrificial, humble love is. And before we can get to anything else in Isaiah, I want to make that so clear that that's why Jesus came to rule over your life first. Now, he'll give you victory in other ways that you need him, right? If your marriage is struggling, if your finances are struggling, if you can't stand your job or who you work for, any of that, he'll fix all that. But he wants to fix you first. Change your whole perspective on why you are where God has you. So before he can change any of that, let him change you. Let him change your life. Let him rule over your life. In Isaiah 5, it says that he'll, uh, or is it 4? He'll break the yoke and the burden, the staff on their shoulders, right? And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You try to do it on your own, you're going to get worn out. But letting Jesus have rule, it's (laughs) easy-ish. Easier, right? 
doesn't come without its tough days. But he'll take care of all of it. The pressure's off because he's in control. We just got to follow him and let God be God. And when we do that, we can experience this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. Amen and amen. All right, so I wanted to really make sure we got that taken care of before uh, now we can get into who is the wonderful counselor and what these different titles that Christ has really means and how we can apply that to our lives. All right, so in verse uh, 9, verse 6 is where we're going to be the whole time uh, for the most part, at least for our key scripture. Um, and it says that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful here means extraordinary or hard to be understood. And to talk a little bit about this hard to be understood part, uh, let's look at two scriptures first in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then turn with me, Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So that kind of seems kind of like who can know the mind of God? How unsearchable are his ways, unfathomable. We can't wrap our minds around it. And I think that's where people get the, the non-scripture, side note, uh, that the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? It's actually not a Bible verse, just side note. But I think that's where people get this idea. But I would contend that he doesn't work. It's not mysterious. It's mysterious if you don't know him you don't know his character, if you don't know what he's like. But he's not, not able to be understood. But how can we understand him? You see, Jesus here is our wonderful counselor. And when Jesus was here on the earth, he was a wonderful counselor to those around him. But how are we, how do we now have access to this wonderful counselor? Let's look in John chapter 16. John 16 verses 7 through 15. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. But I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it 
to you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us, that we receive when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we let him have rule and dominion over our life, God is no longer some mysterious being that just, you're the ant and he's got the magnifying glass and I have no idea why all this crazy stuff's happened in my life. No, complete control. He's always in it. And when we have the Holy Spirit, he will guide us into righteousness. He will convict us concerning sin. He will tell us where to go. He will counsel us and show us what we need to do. In anything, when to speak, when not to speak, when to go, when not to go. Are you trying to get hold of a situation and you just can't? Let the Holy Spirit do it. Let the Lord counsel you on what to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will make it straight. He will keep you from taking the winding road. Takes so long when you do it that way. He just shortens that thing up and gets you right where you already want to be. Trust that counselor, that wonderful counselor, who is hard to be understood by the natural man, but the spiritual man, the one close to the Lord, gets it. Let him show you. Let him counsel you. Another name for Jesus is the mighty God. And Jesus actually said he was God uh, in human flesh. Bear with me. I have so many verses. I had to get a separate sheet here. So we're just getting warmed up here, guys. All right. So, and his name will be Mighty God. And Jesus said that he was prophesied to be God in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in John 10:30, Jesus says, I am the Father are one. So Jesus establishes his deity. Him and God are not inseparable. It's a very nice idea that we celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas. <laughs> but this is Jesus we're talking about. He doesn't have a birthday. He has a physical birthday, but he's been there since the beginning. There's verses in Genesis that said, let us Make man in our own image. Jesus was there. He's the mighty God. He was there at creation. He humbled himself to live this life for us. But then proving he was God again, he rose again and defeated death and sits at the right hand of God. And this word mighty here, when we talk about our mighty God, the definition, sometimes I really do enjoy uh, the clarity of these definitions that it gives. Um, mighty is a strong warrior, champion, attribute of God, especially as in fighting for his people. I love that. Because I need him to fight for me. I'm a, a weak man, spiritually. I need him to strengthen me. I need him to fight for me. If I try and fight all these battles on my own, I'm going I'm to fail on all fronts. I need him to stand for me. And he says that he will. 
Deuteronomy 24, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Psalm 27, 1 through 3, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. We've got a mighty God on our side. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear what's going to happen. We don't need to be afraid of, of what's happening in our, in our country and in the world today. Any of it. Pick a, pick a thing anymore. Goodness, we're way past COVID and whatever else is the new thing to be afraid of, right? Don't be afraid of any of it. We got a mighty God who fights for you on your behalf. You don't need to constantly let yourself be bogged down by everything in this world. Let's just clear out the clutter, clear out our minds, clear out our hearts, just get it all out today and put God on the throne. Know that he is who he says he is. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's not constrained by time. He knows what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. He knew you before you were born. He knew everything that was going to happen for forever. Let him be God. And let's just follow. Hello, my name is Sarah Vega, and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. Hey everybody, this is Cedric Brown, lead pastor of Commitment Church with another weekly wire. So during this Christmas season, I've been giving you my top three reasons why I don't go to church. Remember, reason number one was people. In other words, I just don't go to church because of people. And guess what? I am one of the people. And so many times we become the hindrance to why others do not go to church. And I'll end right there, encourage you to watch the previous video. But then, secondly, I don't go to church because of my parents. In other words, my parents used to make me go to church, now I don't wanna to go to church. Or my parents even now are whispering in my ears, saying to me, go to church, go to church. And that of course is deterring me from going to church. And that shouldn't be any motivation at all for me to go to church. So again, Review the previous video to find more details about that. Now, here's a third reason why I just absolutely don't go to church. And it is because I am imperfect. In other words, am I ready to go to church? You know, I've made so many failures and mistakes in the past and will God accept me just the way I am? And I will say yes, 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 yes. In other words, it doesn't matter if you've had a perfect life, doesn't matter uh, the amount of failures you've had up until this point, that is no reason why you should not go to church during this Christmas season. Matter of fact, what you'll find out is this. When you go to church, you'll be with a lot of other imperfect people trying to pursue a perfect God 
who died a horrific death for us so that we can live life here on this earth and in heaven one day with a perfect God forever. We hope you enjoyed this sample of our Weekly Wire. Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.